Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. Good morning, church. The day after Christmas, you're here, congratulations. The day after the meals, which took hours and days to prepare, have been consumed in minutes. The day after the presents, which some of you spent at least hours looking for, some weeks, some months, to shop and wrap, are gone in minutes. The day after kids, grandkids, parents, grandparents have traveled near or far, have now gone back home. The day where the kids are hopefully playing with the toys, not the boxes. This day can bring a number of emotions to all of us. For some, pure relief that the commotion is over. For some, extreme happiness as they watch their kids play. For some, a sense of accomplishment because you made it, you survived. For some, sadness as loved ones have returned home. And for some, even more sadness as some loved ones weren't at the table this year. The holiday season can bring out every emotion, good and bad. But one thing is for sure, the holidays come and go. They'll be here next year, same time, same place. For you planners, 364 more days till next year, 51 Sundays, we'll be back doing Christmas again. And for you procrastinators, you will never have more time than now to be ready for next year. Today's not about Christmas next year, though. Today's about the moments after the holidays, the day after Christmas. It's about all the planning, all the events, all the fun, and now it's over. The season has passed. Now we face January and February, by far the two most exciting months in Iowa. <laughs> bring on the cold, bring on the snow, bring on the wind, bring on the blizzards, bring on the school cancellations, the school delays. Hopefully bring on a vacation to Florida or Arizona. Bring on loneliness for some, bring on isolation, bring on depression for others. Neighborhoods go dark early, kids are inside bring on what could be a tough upcoming season. My message today is simply this, God will provide. Let's pray. Tony Fire, we just thank you for this church, for the relationship you've given to us, for sending your son to this earth to save us of our sins. We pray for these next few moments, Father, you open our hearts and give me the words. In Jesus' name, amen. I've grown up with the Bible. I know the stories. I've taught many children's Bible stories in Sunday school. I preach the word, I've read the word, and there are some times in my life, some seasons where it's hard to see something new. So what I did is I started looking at some of these stories through a new lens. I have started trying to read between the lines or look at the story from a different angle. Now, not to diminish the gospel, not to take away from it, not to twist it, simply just to open my eyes to what is not wrote, to look inside the story, to do my best Paul Harvey imitation and see the rest of the story. Just as Christmas can leave us with the feeling that the fun is over, everyone has gone home, 
I wonder what Mary and Joseph felt like after the day of Christ's birth. Did they have moments of a void, of feeling alone, having feeling a different range of emotions? Now, Scripture is very clear that Jesus was born of a virgin, Mary, in the, town of, in the town of Bethlehem. But as Pastor alluded to last week, what an event it was. He mentioned that God will use unlikely people at unlikely times to do unlikely things. So if we could for a moment, let's try to look inside the lives of those involved. So let's first talk about Zachariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist. Now, Zachariah was a priest. He was a godly man. He was married to a godly woman. How do we know this? Well, glad you asked. Luke chapter 1, 6 says that both were upright in the sight of God. And the next verse tells us that Elizabeth was barren, and they were both far along in years. Translation of that is they're old, and they don't have kids. All right? So Zachariah and Elizabeth have spent their whole life serving God, and they have no kids, okay? Now, in my Bible commentary about this verse, it says that the absence of children in biblical times would have deprived this couple of personal happiness, but also social disfavor because they had no children. So let's stop for a second and think about this. Do you think Zachariah and Elizabeth ever wondered why? Why don't we have kids? We spent our whole life serving. Where's our children? Month after month, year after year, Elizabeth had to look at Zachariah and say, no, not this month. It isn't happening. I'm sure in their hearts they wanted to be parents. They probably wanted to be the best parents ever, as I hope we all strive to be. And the thing is, they would have friends and other priests who had children. They wouldn't have been able to celebrate with their friends the birth of a child, the birthday of a child, the marriage of their children, and they would go home every time to an empty house. I have to feel that they had to hurt. They had to have felt maybe a little embarrassed, a little inferior in the, in the eyes of society. Could they even have doubted a little of what are we doing wrong? But we know they remained faithful to the Lord despite the circumstances they were living in. I think it's safe to assume that they maybe had seasons in which they experienced a void, possibly alone, a wide range of emotions, but they were praying. How do we know this? Well, Zechariah was on duty in the temple, and he was chosen by throwing lots to go into the temple that day. And I love this part, and we got to stop here for a second, because he was chosen by throwing lots. So in other words, he got lucky, and it was his time to go in the temple. Now, we know with God, there's no, no such thing as coincidence. I like to have a saying, God, there's no coincidence. That's just God showing off when things like this happen. So he was chosen by Lot to go into the temple. He walks in, and what does he see but an angel? And verse 13 in Luke chapter 1 says, The angel says to him, listen to this, I have heard your prayers. I have heard your prayers. Elizabeth is pregnant. Now, if we skip forward a few verses in, in the story, Luke and in verse 18, Zechariah questions this. He's like, are you sure? Come on. Like, you are, you are uh, aware of my age and Elizabeth's age. Um, we don't have kids. hasn't worked. Are you sure about this? And what I like about this is, first of all, it's okay to ask questions sometimes. We have a relationship with God that talks to us, that communicates with us. And in my mind, it's a very legit question. But when you ask a question, you get an answer. And the angel did answer and says, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I got this one. Elizabeth's going to be pregnant. 
And because of this, Zechariah leaves the temple unable to talk in pure silence. I'm sure after years and years and decades and decades of Zechariah and his job, this would not have been on the radar of what showing up to work today would have probably looked like. It's an incredible story, and we're not going to go there for the sake of time. But the Bible does say that when Zechariah went home, Elizabeth, be, Elizabeth became pregnant. Now let's look ahead at Mary and Joseph, and if as cool as Zechariah and Elizabeth's stories are, Mary and Joseph's is probably the craziest story known to man. Mary, a teenager, is pregnant as a virgin. That's not good in, in society of biblical times. So as she's pregnant, sitting there, is she worried? Is she embarrassed? Is she ashamed? Is she scared? What is she feeling? And then you got Joseph. He had to have the courage to accept what had been told him from the angels. The angel appeared to both of them. Now, as we said, getting pregnant before marriage was not a big social blessing. It was very frowned upon. So what did it look like when Mary and Joseph saw each other that next morning? Sleep good? Having any dreams? Man, this angel came. Oh, me too. What to say? I'm pregnant. Yeah, I heard that too. You know, it's not supposed to work that way. And think about what it took them the courage from that, to go forward from that point. So they do what any good couple would do in that situation, road trip. <laughs> so they got to travel, and the Bible says about 90 miles, or in donkey terms, we're talking five to seven days. So did Mary ever wonder in that journey, are we there yet? What mile marker are we at? Is, are we to the last exit? Did Mary's back hurt? I've never been pregnant, but I have rode a horse. And after an hour, I'm done. It's just not, it's not my thing. My back hurts, my whole body hurts, and Mary sat there for a week. Did they ever have the conversation when they got there of Mary and Joseph, like, well, honey, I got good news and bad news. All right, what's the good news? No, 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 give me the bad news first. Ah, uh, there's no place to stay. Okay, what's the good news? Well, I, 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 found, a, I found a barn. Okay, and it gets better. There's a manger, you know. Um, Joseph, we have like the son of God, right? Yeah, yeah, this is the best. I'm just, you know, throwing it out there. What was it like? But sometimes we lose within the story of Christmas what, it was, what they really dealt with. Surrounded by drama from the start, nothing was easy. They have the baby. Shepherds come and visit, worship the baby. What a sign of confirmation from God. And what a beautiful story about Christmas that was told. But hear this. God used an old lady who couldn't become pregnant and a young virgin who shouldn't be pregnant to bring Jesus to us. God uses unlikely people in unlikely times to do unlikely things. And no one took a trip down Easy Street on the way. After all that Mary and Joseph went through, so much of the next 30 years is unknown. So allow me to explain. After all the promises God made them, there was a time when everyone else had gone home. It was just them now, Mary, Joseph, and a baby. If we pick up what the gospel tells us of the time 
of Jesus before ministry started is very light. Let's look briefly at what we know. Now, as a full disclaimer, most of my research came from the Bible. I did have to type some stuff on the internet, do some searches to find some ages, because the Bible doesn't always give us a specific age. I searched some commentaries. I was you know, very cautious in what I looked at and what I read and as far as you know, uh, where they were, what they were saying. But I've done the due diligence to present this the most accurate that I could find. Two of the Gospels, Mark and John, pick up of the story of Jesus when he's 30 years old and is getting baptized. So we've eliminated half of the Gospels to learn of Jesus' childhood. Mark chapter 1, verse 9, and John chapter 1, verse 29, is Jesus getting baptized. Now, Matthew and Luke give us the most information of the years after Jesus was born, but still a lot of gaps. So allow me to know what we have learned through the Bible. And coincidentally, there's really no manuscripts outside of this to say what really happened with Jesus growing up. So Matthew 1.25, and I'm going to hit a few verses here. We're going to hit them kind of quickly, um, but I'm just going to reference where this comes from. Matthew 1.25 and Luke 2, verses 6, both give accounts of Jesus' birth. Only Luke 2, verse 8, writes of the shepherds, and Matthew 2.11 tells of the visit of the wise men when Jesus was approximately 2. Luke chapter 2, 21 and 22 add that Jesus was circumcised at 8 days of age, and purified at 40 days. Luke chapter 2, verse 40, then just says, Jesus grew and became strong. Matthew 2, going back to Matthew 2, 13, tells of the journey to Egypt, in which Jesus' age is unknown, but they think in that 6 to 10 range, and then return to Israel when Herod dies. And Matthew 2, 19, tells us he ultimately settles in Nazareth. Luke chapter 2, verse 41, records Jesus going with his parents to the to attend the feast of the Passover, and this, Jesus would have most likely been 12 at this. And then we get to where all four Gospels jump in and have Jesus being baptized at approximately age 30. And to show how early this happens in the Scripture, this Mar- it's Matthew chapter 3.13, Mark 1.9, Luke 3.21, and John 1.29. Four Gospels, 85 chapters, there's seven mentions of the events of Jesus in his early childhood. Now, obviously, the best is yet to come, but all we know about Jesus after his birth is the shepherds came, the wise men came, he was circumcised, he was purified, he went to the Egypt-Israel-Nazareth loop, went to the feast of the Passover, and he's getting baptized. So, there's where I started looking inside the story, trying to fill in some gaps. And this is all speculation, it's just for fun, but we can have fun in church. What an incredible faith for Mary and Joseph to raise their son, knowing what God had promised, but waiting for the time to come. I can't believe with all the hoopla surrounding his birth that Mary and Joseph would fly under the radar. So just think outside the box with me for a moment. Let me ask some questions. I'm going to try to even be a little clever or funny, but hang with me a little bit. First, what was the conversation like between Mary and Joseph upon the days after? My first thought is, look at each other and say, we better not mess this up. We got a little pressure now. We have God's son. He's here. It's real. Like, if, if they ever doubted that Mary could become pregnant, obviously it became, there were signs of it as she, as she, as she uh, grew. But when the shepherds come and worship, it's pretty much like, okay, angel was right. Not that they doubted, but it was confirmation that he was right. What about the conversation with the in-laws when they got home? Let me introduce you to Jesus. 
You don't really look like Joseph, does he? Well, he's really not Joseph's. Well, see, there was this God's son. There was an angel. Um, you know, I, I promise you it's all good. You know, it's a long story. But they had to face that. Well, tell me about the birth. How did it happen? Well, we were on, you know, we didn't have room. We were in a barn. You know, there was an inn. We put him in the manger. Then there was a star. Some shepherds worshipped him. You know, they had to tell the story to their family, to their friends. Well, you said his name is Jesus. What does that mean? It means Savior. Well, that's bold. How about the friends? Let me, do, let me introduce you to my friends. Here's my oldest, Jesus. You mean like Savior? Yeah, yeah, that's him. When's his ministry going to start? I'm not sure. Just trust me. What are some of the questions Mary and Joseph had to each other? You know, why us? Why did God choose us? Can we do this? Is this too big for us? When is this going to happen? Are we doing everything right? You know, it is going to happen, right? The scripture mentions that Jesus had brothers and sisters. Obviously, Jesus was the oldest. But how would it be parenting Jesus? The Bible says he was pretty much perfect. I have, I, we have a lot in common, I think. But did the other brothers and sisters, as we know, Jesus had four brothers, probably two sisters. Did they ever get in trouble and try to blame Jesus to get out of trouble? Who did that? Well, it was Jesus. Mm, I doubt it. You know, you know, we're not buying that. Did the siblings ever tease Jesus? Well, aren't you the perfect one? You know, we thought about that poor second child. You have this perfect firstborn, and then comes along the next one. As a family, as a group, could they have felt alone? Could they be nervous? Could they be questioning what to do? You know, we just assume life was great, life was perfect all the time, because it's always great and perfect for everyone else, right? You know, we got social media to show us that. No one else has problems except us. Everyone else is doing great. Everyone else has it easy. Could Mary and Joseph ever wondered when Jesus' time would come? You know, Mary was a teenager when she got pregnant. So Jesus turns a teenager like, hey, what you thinking, Jesus? What do you want to be when you grow up? You know, what's your plans? You know, Jesus, you turned 21 today. Got to, what do you want to do with life? You're, you're doing great in the wood shop with Dad. You know, you're doing good. But, but I think there's more. You know, talking to PG between services was really, was really interesting. I did not know uh, is that Joseph was not a been there when Jesus started his ministry, more likely. He wasn't there when Jesus was crucified on the cross. So at some point, that life event happened somewhere in Jesus growing up. When Jesus, turned his first, when Jesus had his first miracles, turning the water into wine, and we know that Mary didn't know if his time was yet, because she asked him. In John 2, verses 1 through 11, the story of Jesus turning the water of the wine. Now, Jesus had, had accumulated his disciples. They were there as a gang or as a group. His ministry had not started yet, the Bible says. And Mary asked him to turn the water to wine. And, and Jesus' response to Mary was, Dear woman, why involve me? My time has not yet come. Mary did not know when the time was coming, and Jesus was 30-ish. You know, when? It's fair to assume 
that even Mary and Joseph had moments in their life where they could possibly feel like the day after Christmas. But we know that God provided for Mary and Joseph. As little as we know about Jesus' upbringing, we know less of John the Baptist. How about Zachariah and Elizabeth? For many years they prayed and wondered, when is, when is my son going to clear the way for the Messiah? You know, they maybe thought to themselves, man, it has to be soon. Just look around. The world needs it. You know, hey, John, how you feeling today? Baptize anybody? You know, have you noticed, like, anyone really cool that you've met lately? Um, could you get, out, get to it? We're not getting any younger. We could go on and on about what might have happened, but we need to start wrapping this up. And that's the best Christmas joke I got, wrapping this up. I'm sorry. God kept his promises to all. For Zechariah, for Elizabeth, for Mary, for Joseph, for you and me, God keeps his promises. But the thing about this is, he did it in his timing, not our timing. Church, we need to know that God's timing is always perfect. Not our timing, God's timing. For all the unknowns in your life, you have to trust God that he will provide in his perfect timing. How many times have you endured something that looks like you will never escape, never get through it, never make it? And then as God delivers you, and as you get through the situation, you look back, it doesn't seem near as long as it did in the season that you were in that, that trial. I heard a preacher say once, if you ever want to make God laugh, just lay out the plans for your life and the timing in which they should occur. And as big as an event as the first Christmas morning was, and it was huge, there is a bigger day coming, the day when Christ returns back to earth to finally crush sin and death. Whatever season you're currently in or whatever lies in your horizon, you must stay in prayer. You must continue to trust in the Lord for his timing, for his will to be done. As I was preparing this message, I had my own little upside-down moment. pastor had asked me to preach during the summer, and it was spring season. It's just too hard to do that. And he asked me during harvest, and I was like, no, uh -uh. harvest was long, long, and longer this year with, with the damage and so forth. But I had a sermon prepared. I knew I had it. I was like, I got one. But no, I, I just can't feel ready right now. So he asked if I would do this, and I said, absolutely. I got it. No worries. I show, up to Christmas, or I show up to church the week before the production and pastor preached my sermon. It was the story of the men uh, dropping the, the lame person through the roof and as he's preaching, he's hitting my point and another point and another point and I'm thinking, hmm. And, and disclaimer, I knew before he preached it that he preached it because Levinsky told me so, so I had a moment to prepare. And I remember sitting there thinking, okay, the one thing I thought in my life that I wasn't behind or buried on just got behind. And as I sat during the sermon, with about five minutes left, this one just dropped in my lap. And so I know it's a timely word for someone here today. The worship team sang Graves into Gardens and it talks of taking something we don't like and bringing it into God's glory. 
and we didn't have a meeting before this to say, what are you playing? What's on this playlist? What am I preaching? Stuff like that. That's just, that's just God showing off. That's setting the stage for what's happening. But whatever season you're in, in your life, there's a better season coming. If you're on the mountaintop, praise God. If you're in the valley, keep praising God. Another one is coming. So before I close today, we never want to pass up the opportunity to allow someone to respond to the gospel. Whether you're live or online, and that God has nudged you for one of two things, either begin a relationship with him or restore a relationship that may be broken, we always want to give you that opportunity every week to respond to the gospel. But before we ask for that, Clint's going to come up, and we talked before the service. Clint had a word on his way to church. And as I talked about the sermon, what I'm going to preach on, he's like, oh, man, they're, they're going together. He says, you know what, let me preach, and then you wrap this thing up. And so Clint's going to finish our, our service for us. Thank you, Mark. I think the word is that you're important, that you're loved, that you matter. You know, Mackenzie said it in worship. Mark talked about it during his message. I think that's the word that God put on my heart because I feel there's someone that's going to show up today. I don't know if they're in first service or if they're here in this service or if they're watching online now or into the future that someone has a feeling right now where they don't feel that they're worthy, that they feel unimportant, unneeded, unwanted, unworthy. And it reminds me of a person that's in the New Testament, this lady who'd been struggling with this illness for many, many years. No physician, no healer, no group of people could ever help her overcome this illness. And she wandered through her life feeling like, I'm unworthy to be healed. I'm unwanted in society. I'm unneeded. But then she caught this glimmer of hope in this guy named Jesus. Jesus was walking around. He, she was hearing about lame people walking again, the ones that couldn't hear hearing, and the ones that couldn't see seeing, and even dead people being raised to life. And she thought, maybe, maybe he's my glimmer of hope. If he is the Son of God, our Savior, then maybe I can have that change. And she decided not to be the center of attention and try to find a one-on-one -on -one with Jesus, but rather she followed the crowd. And as she weaved and, and dabbed through the crowd, she thought, I'm not going to get in front of him. I'm just going to touch. I'm just going to reach out and see if I can touch his cloak because that would be enough. And it was. It could have been enough. She was healed. But what did Jesus do? He stopped. He said, who touched me? Even though he knew clearly who did. It's almost as if you're sitting in this giant auditorium. Think of a giant coliseum, a football game, a basketball game, a baseball game, and there's all these people. And very few of them get that, you know, the Megatron, you know, all of a sudden they're highlighting the front row and they're on camera. Very few people ever feel important at those games. But it's almost as if Jesus in that moment stopped and put the webcam on her and said, you matter. So I don't know who that is today. Jesus is saying the same thing today. You matter. So I don't know who that's for. I hope it's for someone. Because I feel it's been orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. In just a moment, we're going to have the rest of the worship team come up here and we're going to sing a song together. And as that worship team starts singing that song, we're going to have a prayer team up front. My wife and I will be up here and there will be others on the sides. And if you feel that's you, like that is totally me, 
I've been wandering around aimlessly feeling like I am that person that's unwanted, unneeded, unworthy. Come up. Let us pray for you. If maybe you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior for the first time, you want to do that today. Or have an opportunity to do that. Or if you say, I've been wandering and I want to come back. Let's pray together. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the great I am, Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you. And we praise you so much, God, that you sent your son, Jesus, in a humble way so that eventually he could die on the cross for our sins. And if that's you here today, with every head bowed and eye closed, if that's you and you say, yes, that's me today, I feel unimportant, unworthy, and I feel God tugging on my heart to either come back in a right standing with him today or for the first time acknowledge that he is the Lord of my life. I want you to slip up your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. You can slip those hands up. All right, let's all stand and I'm going to do one more closing prayer and then we're going to worship a song. I'm going to encourage each one of you to take a step of boldness here today. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much once again. And maybe there's someone in this room or watching online that says that you are the king. I'm going to do a prayer. And as I say this prayer, I just want you inside your mind or just quietly say, that's me. That's me. That's me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you sent your son to the cross for us. I admit that I'm a sinner and I admit that I messed up. In this point forward, I'm giving my life over to you. I admit that you were the son of God that you were killed and resurrected for the forgiveness of my sins. And I thank you for that. And Lord, I pray that as we leave this auditorium today, that we would know that we're important. That God is singling you out today to let you know that you are worthy, that you're wanted, and you're needed in the kingdom of God. You are loved. As we sing this worship song together, I pray that you would take a step that you've never done before, that you acknowledge that in a way you've never done before. Maybe that's just singing for the first time in church. Maybe that's raising your hand a little bit to acknowledge that you need God. Or maybe it's extending your hand as far up in the sky as you possibly can, hoping to touch God this morning, because I guarantee he'll come down and meet you where you're at. We give you all the praise. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.